puts it in. Welcome into the Tottenham Depot. I am your host, Andrew. It is episode 130. I cannot believe we have done 130 of these. That is a little bit of a mind-blowing number to realize here this summer. Uh, We are in the kind of doldrums somewhat of the summer. There's a transfer window. There's uh, plenty happening. Spurs are are making moves and preparing themselves for next season. Um, But, you know, they're also not making a ton of moves at the same time. There's plenty more to do and plenty more to talk about. Uh, I've got three of my friends alongside here to do it with. We'll start by throwing it out to Scott. He is at DSM Spurs. Scott, what's going on, man? Not much, just chilling. Like you said, not a whole, not a whole lot going on in the world of football, outside of, of international, of course, which plenty going on. But uh, this is this is Spurs centric, right? So we'll say there's not a whole lot going on, but excited to chat. We do have it. We will be dipping into the mailbag a little bit later, and there is a, a an American tie-in uh, with one of the questions that we will come on to. Uh, Caroline is also with us at CG Stefco on Twitter. Caroline, how are you? I'm good. Just trying not to melt here in Texas. <laughs> yes, feeling much of the same of that in in Arizona. But you guys, you guys do have a, a a cool new cat in San Antonio after the NBA draft this week. That should help things. Uh, the other big Vic in 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 our conversation today, Mr. Victor Wambinyama, is now officially a San Antonio Spur. That has to have you excited, right? Oh yes, the the vibes are really good in San Antonio this week. And honestly, I think even the other guy that we drafted seems like he's going to be a good addition too. So, yeah, just good all around. Well, hopefully the Frenchman doesn't melt in the uh, the San Antonio heat because I know I would, uh, just like I do out here in Arizona. It's brutal. Uh, Shuban is also with us. He is at the real Shuban. Shuban, I know it's also very very warm in the UK, and you're dealing with that as well, right? Well, our numbers aren't as high as yours, but it's um, obviously you guys have been to London and you could tell it's one of those things where it's so built up, there's no air and it's it's like I've I've actually got this new couch. Well, I've got this couch ups and on the recliner and I've been having so many naps. I don't know if it's the heat or I'm working out (laughs) too hard or whatever, but it's it's generally I am loving my new recliner. I'm just spread out and just falling asleep and having my naps. I'm doing the same thing. Yeah. I'm telling you, after after this podcast, it's going to be a little baseball and golf on the television, and I'm going to be in the same boat. I got my workout in this morning. I am, but I have the air conditioning, luckily, to, to benefit here. I know that's that's a different story in much of London because uh, they are not used to the heat. But uh, it'll it'll be plenty of that. Before we do that, though, before we all kick back and relax on a Sunday, we're going to talk Spurs a little bit here. Uh, after our podcast published last week, Spurs made it official with Dan Kulusevski. Uh, completing the the permanent signing after his loan deal technically doesn't even come to, to to a close for like another five days, but they've they've locked that down permanently. Uh, we talked a lot about Decky last week on the podcast, uh, even before that was made official. So if you if you missed any of that conversation, you can go back to episode one twenty nine and and hear it. But the big news out of out of camp with Spurs and transfers this week is that Spurs have apparently found their new goalkeeper, and it is not. David Raya from Brentford for 40 million pounds or whatever. Um, it is apparently, and bear with me here, Guglielmo Vicario. 
And I think that is the right pronunciation. I'm, if it's not, I'm going to blame Rob Guest of Football.London because that is how he said it on his podcast earlier this week. Um, but that's that's the one pronunciation I've been able to find, and, and I'm going with it. So I kind of like the, the idea of having a goalkeeper named Guglielmo um, because it sounds like a, a toy that would have been bought in, bought in 1998 at a toy store. I don't know. I know that was Tickle Me Elmo, but this could have been an alternate name, right? Um, we could call him Venom. We could call him the other big Vic, obviously. There's a lot of different ways to go with this, but um, Spurs are, are apparently only going to spend about 16 million pounds on this goalkeeper from Empoli who is, you know, kind of a big deal in Italian soccer. So let's let's start there. I know we have a, a resident Italian fan on the podcast right here. Scott, how do you feel about this, this new goalkeeper signing that, that Spurs have, have apparently made? Dude, as you alluded to, he's fucking awesome. Italian keeper guarantees he's going to go down as a legend. So I'm really excited about this one. Uh, but no, all jokes aside, I really think he he's – he he's interesting in the sense, you know, that he appears to be such a highly touted shot stopper, but the stats are a little bit skewed as far as the things we're looking for in a keeper because Empoli was is such a defensive team, right? But apparently he's really good on the ball and capable of, of playing with the high line in front of him. So yeah, I, I I I'm excited to to see how he turns out and, and I think more than anything, I'm just really stoked that the club instead of haggling and haggling and haggling and you know, three weeks later, figuring out we can't make it work for Raya and then scrambling to, to, to bring somebody in last minute. We moved on very quickly from, from a target that we didn't feel was right on the other side from a business perspective and uh, use data and analytics and, and, you know, whatever else we're using to go out and find a keeper who is, you know, seemingly equally as talented, but cost a lot less money. I think, I think it's good business. So I think it's a change of approach from the club and, um, I feel like for the first time in a long time with a transfer, we haven't found ourselves flat on our ass with 48 hours to go in the window trying to figure out what we're going to do. Caroline, when it comes to that conversation about, you know, Raya versus versus Vicario and the, the money difference, I, there's a lot of people out there that are going to say Spurs are being cheap again, but there's also a lot of people out there and they're, much of them are the same people. It's almost like there's a Venn diagram crossing here that want Spurs to be a little bit more like Brighton or, or have that kind of recruitment method and find these, these cheaper options that can be just as good perhaps. Um, and I don't think we really know the story on, on Raya or Vicario and their long-term capabilities just yet. That's it's all for prognostication, but what's, what's your mindset with Spurs going this other route? Because for, for a week, week and a half, maybe even two weeks, it was David Raya is the guy and he, and he was going to be the guy. And now all of a sudden, Spurs have made this left-hand turn and gone a different route. How does that make you feel and, and, and the reaction to it in general? Well, if you believe the internet rumors, Brighton actually had this guy as a target. So we are quite literally acting like Brighton, I suppose. Um, I can't pretend to have even known this guy's name until last week. So I don't have a lot of strong feelings about him as a player. But I mean, if he really is of a similar profile and he's someone who's a little more you know, up and coming and we can get for a better fee. I, it's good business. I mean, we know that this is what the club kind of excels at. Um, so I, I can't complain about it. And I think it's, it's good to have someone who is maybe a little less established, you know, not coming from the Premier League. So he has a lot to prove. I think that's only going to help kind of the environment we're trying to foster under Ange. 
I, I'm in the same boat as you. I did not know this guy from Adam before I heard about his name last week, but all reports sound good. And like Scott said, he's, he's Italian, so he must be good, right? Uh, Shuban, do, do you have more confidence in Vicario being like the next Hugo Lloris replacement and here for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years? Or do you have more confidence in him being Scott's other Italian golden child, Golini, and turning into to, to that kind of a, a, a monstrosity of a, a signing? I've never seen the lad play, so I have no idea. I mean, I know Empoli are a team I'm, I'm familiar with from watching like Football Italia, but they generally used to get their ass kicked most of the time, so I don't really know them that well, apart from that. Um, I think it just boils down to, like, there's a bunch of... And I don't know how to... I'm not going to give them any oxygen, with the, but the Tottenham Lakers, there'll be a bunch of fans that no matter what the club do, they're going to say, oh, you've, you've cheated out. And there'll be a bunch of fans that will give it a chance. And there'll be a bunch of fans that will be like, hmm, who? And, like, we've done, like, the big signings. They generally haven't really worked out all that well. I don't know who this lad is. I don't know if he was signed by Big Ange or he was signed by Scott Mullins or whoever the new director of football is going to be. All I know is that if he's going to be wearing a Spurs shirt, I'm going to get behind him and that's it. I mean, for me, I, I do worry because his name Guglielmo. Googly is like a, is a, is a term using cricket, which basically means when you've been bold at Googly, which basically means a humiliating thing that happens to you. So I'm worried about those rooms, the use of his name that way. Oh, geez. But, I was trying um, to go the Elmo road and, like, route and make it cute, but but uh, I guess Sesame Street isn't really a UK thing either. I guess. No, no, no. We are, no, excuse me. Look, excuse me. We're not that bad because we have Sesame Street here. <laughs> I'm no, just may, 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 may I remind you the Muppets got their start in the UK? Yeah. May I remind you they were created by Jim Henson, a University of Maryland grad. Yeah. So who who, who we'll was financed by too. Lou Grade? Who was financed by Lou Grade? A well, I hope this guy is not a Muppet. I hope he is, yeah. you know, I hope he's a good goalkeeper. And I hope he I hope he can replace Hugo Lloris. I this is the weird thing for me, is that I'm not sure if Spurs believe that this, you know, we'll find out soon, obviously. We'll find out this summer if Hugo Lloris does get his move, and this guy really is the true step in and start replacement, or if this is a move, like maybe we can start to push Hugo out. I know Hugo wants a move and it, it does seem like that time, but I'll be really interested if this was the signing, but you know, the in before the out, or if this was the in to, to, to enforce the out, maybe, you know, when Hugo's contract expires at the end of the next season, I I'm just, I know everybody probably believes it's the former rather than the latter, but um, I'll be interested to see, you know, kind of how it works out in that way um, going forward. That's that's kind of like all we've really heard in terms of a, a signing this week. I know there's a lot of other rumors out there. Um, there's still James Madison rumors. There's you know pl plenty plenty going on and plenty of time still to do it. We're obviously not even into the month of July at this point, but um, but it is you know it is getting to be that time where these rumors will start to heat up and and things will start to to move here because we're I mean honestly we're what are we less than a month away now from the preseason starting. You want to be able to get these guys into camp and and obviously um you know the travel that is involved with with the preseason you want to you want to get some signings done so it's nice to have this one it seems like this is one of the maybe three positions that spurs really need to to hammer this summer transfer window uh the other two being obviously a left-sided center back and some kind of attacking midfielder um other than that you know we'll see it's nice it's nice to have a box checked kind of this quote unquote this early in the season as well though well, so and is, on that, that note, nice. too. Go ahead, Scott. Yeah. 
I, I think on that note too, I, I do really feel strongly that, that he is the guy. And I, and I think kind of back to what I was saying earlier, I do believe that, that we've put the work in, you know, as to, as to who beyond David Raya would be a viable option if we knew that, that, you know, we couldn't get that, that price point negotiated down. And again, I'm, you know, I, you all know that I don't always love using data and analytics to make decisions, right? I, I bang on about XG being a, a nuisance all the time, but I do think if you look at the goalkeeper position, they're important. Um, I think that that's the position that uses the, the dare I say, the most mathematics, you know, to, to determine what's being done and, and how, how things are, are, you know, whether or not they're effective. But anyway, stats look almost identical to David Raya. And, and um, I would just be very surprised if, if we have these three key positions, we all know we need to address this summer. If we just went and got somebody that might work out, maybe not, we're not quite sure for the first one of those dominoes to start falling. So I really feel strongly that, that we've identified him as the real deal. And if you look at Pasta Koglu's, you know, time at all, all the various clubs he's been at, he's done a, a lot with, with what seeming seemingly was little at the time. Right. Um, but that all became a lot more under Pasta Koglu. So really feels like he's the guy and I'm, I'm excited to see if that becomes the case. It is really interesting to note that, you know, a lot of people have said that this asking price that Brentford even have for, for David Raya is, is a little high. It, it feels like they're, they're asking a little bit too much for a guy who's out of contract next season. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I don't feel any kind of way about this. If Spurs feel like they've got their keeper for the future, I'm happy with it. I hope it works out for them. Um, it no matter what the what happens, it's going to be hard to replace Hugo Lloris. I think we all know that it's going to be a difficult, yeah, sure. um, a difficult thing to not only to replace Hugo Lloris, the goalkeeper, but you know, I, I know there's I know his captaincy has been slated a lot, but it's going to be tough to replace that as well. Now we all kind of just assume that Harry Kane is that guy, and I don't think anyone is going to say that Harry Kane will have trouble replacing that captaincy. But it is it is something to think about in that sense uh, as That's well. It's not just that, it's just the step up in leadership from the other players. Because sure. we talk about players that are coming in, but there's a bunch of fat we need to trim out. And then, and like I said, once we see who's left, I think, you know, Ange will be looking at that and thinking, well, obviously, I think Harry Kane is probably the natural choice of being captain. But again, he's going to be looking at which leaders will emerge from that. And we don't, and I said we just don't know because we don't know who's going to be left because there's, you know, there's so many players that these futures have to be decided, you know, and hopefully like the KSA will be very generous and take a bunch of our players out, but I have no idea what's going on with that. So yeah, that's that's something we're going to come on to as well. Uh, that's I'm not sure I have the same exact opinion as you on that, but uh, but we will come on to that shortly. Um, the other big news out of Spurs camp this week is that the youth wage structure is officially being changed. And this is something that we kind of knew about. But basically, the the Cliff Notes version of this is that, that youth players are being paid a lot more by Spurs now in wages. And it's kind of online with clubs like Chelsea and and, and others in the Premier League that that pay their youth players a little bit more to hang around. It's, it's basically just incentive to have them stay in the system and stay in the academy system and and have a chance to graduate. Obviously, over the last handful of seasons, um, the managers that were in place at Spurs did not really care as much about that um, and didn't really care as much about the the, the youth structure and, and bringing players through. Certainly, you know, both Mourinho and Conte gave a, a couple of youth players their debuts at certain points. 
Um, but I don't think there was really any big emphasis from either of those managers um, in the way that there was under Mauricio Pochettino. Um, this is apparently an idea that came mostly from Fabio Paratici, which I guess we can say is like a, a good parting, uh, a parting gift for, for his tenure at Spurs. Maybe it is a good thing. Uh, at least that's the way I view it. Um, the club uh, was able to lock down uh, this young prospect named Mikey Moore, who is apparently a young 15-year-old phenom who they really wanted to keep. Um, and this is this has helped do it. So um, I, I'm all thumbs up on this. I'm not sure how there could be uh, another a differing opinion. But um, Shuban, what do you have to say about this 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 strength this change within the structure of the the youth setup? I'm what I'm hoping is that you don't get what what we can even call pretty big bollocks when you get players who are on become they they go from being scholars to being getting good money because I've seen that happen. Um, just to put into context about. 12 years ago, I went to see some Spurs youth players play at a local match. And you had some of the Spurs players who were on good money. Uh, I think Dean Parrott and John Bostock. And they had their own cars and they drove to the stadium. And you had the other players who weren't on as good money and therefore had to use like the team coach, the team bus. And there, there, I think Andrus Townsend was there. I think Ryan Mason might have been there as well, actually. I'm not, I can't remember. Uh, Massa no longer. But the players I remember... These are the players that have gone to have Premier League careers. The players like Dean Parra and John Bostock have pretty much gone nowhere. So I am hoping, and I think it's an old-fashioned thing because, it, just to put it in context, back in the back in the old days, you would have like the apprentices. They'd be cleaning boots, they'd be polishing stuff, and cleaning toilets. They'd be doing all kinds of stuff like that. Football's changed. It's changed dramatically since then, and I'm not trying to harken back to that. But you don't want these players to think, oh well, I've landed this really lucrative contract. That's it. I don't need to do any more. So it'll be interesting to see how the players remain motivated because I think you had some players, I think when John McDermott was our manager, he was very much like, no, I don't believe in that. If you want to make good money, that's when you become, you know, you, you sign your first professional, pro professional contract and that's when the big money kicks in. So it'll be interesting to see how, first of all, well, we have the wage disparities that we have because obviously we brought that lad in from Chelsea or how do we eliminate those wage disparities? And B, just in terms of their motivation, you know, because right now we don't see enough players going from the youth into the main first team. And that could just be because, you know, you might have a bunch of Harry Canes and you're a striker. So good luck getting getting there. But there are other player positions that players haven't emerged. So I wouldn't see how this does in terms of attracting talent, retaining talent, and what that yields to. Because the most important output, the key deliverable of the youth team is generating players for the first team. And if not that, at least making a profit in terms of player trading, they go to other clubs. No, no question yeah, about cool. it. And I, but I, yeah. I, I think, the, I think the thing that goes into that purely that whole, are you going to find the right players with the right mindset is recruitment. And, and that's where Spurs kind of, it's, it's recruiting the right types of people. And I, I say people, these are kids, obviously these are, these are teens that they're trying to, 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 to bring through. So it's, it's tough to, it's tough to judge a book by its cover, especially when it's so young. I'm not, I'm not, I don't think I'm saying anything that, that we don't know is that, you know, these kids and teenagers are, you know, developing and growing still, but it's recruitment of good people and good and putting them in good surroundings to, to want to have that motivation, even if they're getting paid a little bit more. Well, and also I think if, if we want to talk about how important it is to, to link the Academy to the first team, 
it's just an example of how broken football is, but money's the first step at this point to, to start to do those things because you sure I can. And I, and I know you'll agree with this, but I'm just talking out loud here, but um, not, not necessarily in disagreement of anything you said, but if somebody comes to me and says, if you want to get paid, work your butt off and get a professional contract, I'm like, all right, cool. I'm going to Chelsea. Thanks for your time. You know, as simple as that. So it's, 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 you know, again, a microcosm of how broken the sport is, but money, money talks. And if we want to talk about as fans, how important it is to focus on the academy, this was what we had to do. And we did it, I think. Well, and, and saying things like the sport is broken and money talks kind of, you know, leads us perfectly into our next conversation because the other really big story this week in Spurs land is that Hyungin Sun uh, was courted by and uh, essentially turned down an offer to go to Saudi Arabia to play. Like, you know, Shuban mentioned, this has been happening across, not only across the sport, but specifically in the Premier League. We have seen over the last handful of weeks um, a huge flush of cash from the Saudi Public Investment Fund and all of these teams over in Saudi Arabia bringing in Premier League players. And obviously, this is something that is not new, but this much of it feels new. And it's it's a conversation that's really, really big and really, really vast and really, really important and has a lot of uh, differing sides of it. Um, I think a lot of people know I'm one of the bigger golf fans and obviously the world of golf has seen this influx of Saudi money into the game. The, the, the public investment fund obviously funded an entirely new competing tour. If you don't know what's going on with the PGA tour and, and live golf, you know, you've obviously been hiding from it because it's been a big, not just golf story, but sports story. Um, so this kind of thing is everywhere. And there's now, you know, the Washington post reported this week, um, that one of these oil rich nations, I can't even remember which one it is now. It might've been Qatar is attempting to, uh, invest into monumental sports, which is the group that owns the Washington capitals of the NHL, the Washington mystics of the WNBA and the Washington wizards of the NBA. Um, can't imagine why there would want to be investment into three teams in the nation's capital, but it, it all just feels gross. And it feels, it feels, um, like Scott said, broken. And there's a lot of just kind of heinous, weird dealings going on. And, and the word that surrounds it all is, is simple. The word is sports washing. It's a word that has come up plenty um, over the, over the last handful of years. Um, Caroline, I want to start with you on this. Cause I know you, you're, you have a, a real opinion on it. Where do we go from just this whole idea of, you know, I'm, I'm glad that Hyungman's son saw this and, you know, issued a statement on it and said, I have no interest in leaving the Premier League. I, I you know, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but he, he, he wants to say it's Spurs. He thinks he has a lot more to accomplish. Um, not everyone, however, especially in the Premier League, is, is doing that. There are a lot of players departing to go play in Saudi Arabia for boatloads and boatloads of money. Um, how, how broken is this game right now? And, 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 and where do we go from here? Well, I will take a brief moment to plug my newsletter Spurs Across the Pond because I just did a post that breaks down in extensive detail how it's, it's not just the Saudi league attracting players. Now it's not just the Newcastle ownership. Like they have a lot of different um, avenues that they're using to exert influence over football. Uh, so it's, it's really just like a tangled web at the moment. And as far as how it's how we're going to stop it, I mean, I think it's good that players like Sun 
And also Lukaku and Modric have come out and said that, you know, basically it means more to them to play in an actually competitive league um, than to essentially sell their souls for money. Um, I think Sun was the most explicit about it and saying that money is not important to him at this stage of his career. You know, it, he cares more about playing in the best league and with the team that he cares about. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's just there have been so many stories within, I think, like the past two to three weeks that it feels sort of overwhelming that it's gotten to this point where it's, it's really hard to untangle them from the sport at this point, I feel like. To, you know and it, it could literally spark a geopolitical conflict <laughs> so that's scary um but it's not just players leaving for an easy payday i think one of the most concerning stories i heard in the past week was that ruben neves obviously has now signed with um i think it was all halal and his eventual path is most likely going to be going on loan to newcastle united yeah. So this was essentially a way for him to get that move to Newcastle United because he wants to play Champions League football without actually having to get his former club, Wolverhampton, to negotiate that. Um, you know, the, the Saudi club is basically acting as a middleman in this situation. So, yeah, I don't, I don't have anything positive to say. I feel very, like, demoralized by this development. And the fact that it's spreading to other sports as well is really concerning especially that it's now coming to america um yeah i don't know yeah. that's all i've got I, I mean you guys know me well enough to know that i've complained enough about everything going on in the world of golf in the last 18 months and how and, and i think you made the point with what sun said so i don't even really think sun addressed the the geopolitical part of it as you as, as you said you know the, the the sports washing of it all he he does he doesn't need to address that that's not. I'm not even asking for him to. I'm not asking for some grand statement about um, his his politics or the world writ large. I'm not. But the fact that he just wants to play in the Premier League because it's the best league, and he still feels like he has something to to prove in his career, I think that enough is reason to not be a big fan of any of this. And that's kind of what I said with all the golf stuff over the last handful of, of, of years too. You know, there's, there were these players leaving the PGA tour for the live tour and the live tour to me, you know, human rights issues aside is it's just like exhibition golf. It's not professional golf. It, it, it felt like a, like a, like a gimmick. And that to me is kind of what some of these lesser leagues, and that's not to say that the Saudi Arabia, the Saudi Arabian league or any other smaller league couldn't build themselves up to to be a better league but doing it this way just feels it feels different and it feels um not the way that it's supposed to be done yeah i think with the saudi league the crucial development is that pif has now taken ownership of the top four clubs like the traditional top four kind of like you have the premier league top six um so essentially there is no sporting integrity in this league anymore. Like, yeah, exactly. I mean, imagine, imagine thing. if the same group owned the, you know, Manchester United, Liverpool, Chelsea, and Arsenal. Like imagine if the same group, you know, of, of, of owners owned those four. That'd be so weird. Nobody would stand for that. Right. And because we're starting to see all this player movement to those four clubs from our same league, from the Premier League, it just becomes very tangled. 
And the other point I did want to make, though, before we get off this topic, is that the their ownership in Newcastle United, you know, I think it was a season ago, they took over control of the Newcastle women's team. Um, they previously had not been associated with the club, per se. And, you know, undoubtedly, they they the players have worked hard to gain promotion um, to the National League. That's the third tier in the women's game. But where it gets kind of thorny is that they just announced they're going to be going fully professional, which is just not a financial possibility for any of the other clubs in that tier. So I think this is a pretty blatant example of sports washing because, you know, they're, they're heavily funding the women's team in England. But if you look at Saudi Arabia, the landscape for women's football is just not the same. Like (laughs) they, they've been making all this talk about, you know, increasing participation in sport. And that's part of like their rationale for embarking upon this whole sort of PIF investment project, um, which you think, okay, that's really great. That's admirable. They're, they're wanting their country to be a healthier country and encourage people to engage in sport. And so they've got all these targets of like how many male footballers they want to have registered by so-and-so year. And they just don't have the same goals when it comes to women's football. So I think it's pretty obvious that this is not a good situation. And it's, it's a double-sided or double-edged sword because you want to see this investment in women's football in England. Like, it's good that there are opportunities for players in this region of the country now because I feel like that has not been so much the case. But it's like, what, what's the cost? Like who's who's benefiting and who's who's not benefiting from it. And I and I think that that is the, the the crux of where the the difficulty of this conversation comes in because obviously money is good for these things. Money is positive. You in it, we we all live in a very capitalist world. Like you need funding and investment for these things to grow. Like women's football, like lower tier football. You need you need you know. You need investment in those things financially, and that's a good thing. But it's it's the the double sided coin of where is that coming from, and is it the right way to be doing it? Obviously, there's a lot of fairness slash unfairness that goes into all of that. So, because of the whole PIF thing, um, everyone said it was like there's nothing to do with the Mohammed bin Salman. There's nothing to do with this, and then it came out. It was leaked, I think, earlier this year, and I think it came out on quite a few news platforms that Boris Johnson, our disgraceful prime minister, and apparently we've had quite a few of those. Um, put pressure on the Premier League to push this thing through. Because not only do you have the, the, the actual money that the Saudi Arabian uh, PIF have, um, just to put it into context, I remember many years ago, we actually had um, a case that was basically blocked at the very highest level by the British Prime Minister because the Saudis threatened with whole intelligence. And when you have that level of money and intelligence, political leverage that you have, that's a very dangerous thing. And I don't know, it's kind of like you've invited this huge, powerful tiger into your room, for, into your house for tea. And if he wants to eat you as well as the tea, then he might as well do that. There's very little you can do. Yeah. Um, I, 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 like I said, I'm not trying to debate whatever. I'm just saying there's not just, not just the money as well. It's other things that, you know, not just the, the oil and stuff like that. It's the intelligence that affects not just the UK, it affects the US, 
various parts of the EU. So it's a huge, it's a little bit, but when you add a lot of, and you add money into this, it's a really, it's, it's, it's an uncomfortable soup. And yeah. um, I, I don't well, know what the situation is. And think about what it took for leagues and teams across the world to get Russian money out of football. It took a literal war breaking out for them to get Roman Abramovich, you know, to disinvest from Chelsea, to get Gazprom, you know, which was a sponsor for not just individual teams, but tournaments. Um, you know, this was basically a front for the Russian state. So yeah. it's, that, that's what scares me is that we're in a situation where it's going to be impossible to undo without causing, you know, an actual conflict. It's 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 heady heady shit, Scott. I want to bring you into this conversation because um, you I haven't I haven't heard a lot from you on this, uh, but this is I don't know. There there is part of this to me that bringing it back to like the, the sunny thing. Like I'm, I'm I'm glad he's not departing, but obviously, if Spurs got an influx of cash from 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 a sale, that would be a positive thing. It kind of it's almost to me a little bit tying back to our conversation about the youth levels. Like it's good that Spurs are being, are, are, are getting themselves on par with other clubs. If, if this kind of stuff keeps happening, you know, selling players for, for, for big uh, influxes of cash to, to the Saudi Arabian league. Like, I don't know, man, part of me feels like Spurs got to keep up with the Joneses somehow. Right. We live in this dog eat dog world, but at the same time, I don't like any of this. Yeah, I mean, it's it's no different than what we talk about all the time on this show, that the only way to, to go and win the Premier League and the Champions League is to be bought out by somebody who's probably unethical, you know, and, and whatever they're doing to earn that money or, or invest in the team, blah, blah, blah. So it's the same thing. I mean, um, I personally would not be happy with us selling players to the Saudi League, regardless of the fees. Um, I look at, like, the Chinese Super League, for example, I would say, please buy all of these players, right? And I don't know where the differentiation is for me, because you know you can you can point to to issues everywhere, but I think what it comes down to, and um, you know, I think it's it it's become so normalized that maybe I even find myself looking past this, but it all goes back to the the human the human rights records of the of the country that's doing all of this, and regardless of, of anything they do, whatever they say, um, and don't get me wrong. The country that I that I call home has its problems. Equity has a long way to go here. We know that, um, but it's different over there, and we could go on on and on about why it is different over there, right? Um, but uh, and again, I don't even want to get into any of that. But I think my point is, um, we all know the feelings deep down that that lead to us, you know, wanting to continue to. To, to talk about how wrong this is. And that's what really matters. Um, uh, because again, if, if all of a sudden the, the Brazilian league wanted to start spending, you know, billions and billions of pounds to come and buy young men's son for a hundred million, I'd be on my hands and knees pleading for somebody to, to pay us that amount of money for him. Right. But no go with, with, with the type of life that, that people are forced to live in, in Saudi Arabia, unfortunately. Well, it's and it's so interesting you bring up the two countries you bring up, you know, China and Brazil, like there there's no flawless record anywhere. And you mentioned here in the States, like the, England is honestly the same way. There there are there are bad things happening everywhere. And it, it is I, that is going to be the argument from folks who are in favor of this is, you know, you can't throw rocks in a glass house type type of stuff. I, I And I get that. I do. I hear that sentiment. But like 
you know, any NBA fan will tell you who, who has this belief will tell you that they have an issue with the NBA's relationship to China. You know, we know that there has been uprising everywhere because of political issues, human rights issues. Um, like I said, including here in the States. So there's, there's no, there's no perfect place in this world. It's, it's, we're all just kind of in this melting pot trying to like figure it out together. And, and there's a lot of pointing fingers and that's where I am conflicted about all of this. It it does make it really tough, Caroline. Yeah. I think it's good to bring up, you know, other leagues, like for example, the Chinese league, which did have a really rapid period of growth, uh, which obviously is now slowing down. It sounds like, but I think the difference between what, PIF is doing and even like say Qatar you know with QSI I think the difference is that they now it's not just having ownership in one team overseas it's not just attracting players to their league it's is that they have so many different kind of I don't want to use the word tentacles but you kind of know what I'm trying to say different I I, I do I think think, levers I I guess is like the the kind of financial way you would state it that they have so many conflicts of interest being created by these different factors. And your that's point, where it your point that you made earlier, Caroline, about them owning multiple teams is is the perfect example of just the sporting integrity part of it. That that doesn't make any sense to me. You know, if if the same if if, if the same five people own each owned you know six major league baseball teams, there would be an issue there. There would be some kind of you know conflict of interest in, in if if two of those teams were meeting up for a world series or something like there, there, there's a sporting integrity issue. It's the same reason that you're not allowed to own multiple NBA teams or NFL teams. Like it, all the owners have to be different. We're all, you know, owning our own enterprises and you're right. The fact, just the sporting integrity part of it, not the human rights integrity part of it is different and confusing to a lot of people. And it makes it feel, it makes it feel less than it makes it feel like exhibition. And that's, like I said, I'll go back to the golf point. That's kind of what I've always felt about live golf. It, all the other, you know, tangential shit is a problem to me. The, the human rights stuff, where the money's coming from is a problem to me. But even more of a problem is that it, it feels like an exhibition. It feels less than the top level of competition. And look, as fans of sport, we want to watch top level competition. We, that's the, it's the reason that the, the major leagues are bigger than the minor leagues. Uh, you know, not as many people watch the minor leagues. They want to watch the top level. And you're not doing that if you're, you know, having these kinds of sporting integrity questions. Yeah, I think the fact that the actual competition is not the thing that's being served through this just goes to show that there are ulterior motives. And that's, I mean, that's what sports washing is in a nutshell. So it, it's, it's, it's really well said. Um, and I don't, I don't really know. Again, I this whole conversation I, I think is is productive and positive, and it and it gives people a, a a light and a viewpoint into, you know, what we're all feeling, and and maybe makes people think a little bit. But it doesn't offer any answers. I don't think any of us have solutions to the problems that we are talking about. It's just one of those things that we kind of have to watch play out in front of us and hope for the best. But um, cool. I, I don't know. Go ahead, Scott. Unfortunately, unfortunately, though. They, you know, they, they've gone after it. I say they, PIF has gone after the sport that has proven time and time again that they will chuck integrity out the window it's fair. regardless of, of what are, it, it's, it's, it's fucked. I mean, you know, Carolyn said it, said it really well with regards to Russia and Gazprom and everything that came from that. But, um, 
but we I, I'll even look at something as simplistic, you know, up against this conversation as simplistic as financial fair play. It's always been a crock of shit and it's never mattered, right? All these FAs and, uh, you know, European Association will come out and say, we're doing this to fix what, and, it, and they'll, then they'll line their pockets or whatever they do, right? The power, money, et cetera, and, and chuck all that shit out the window. So PIF knows what it's doing, going after the sport that will have no integrity and, and put up no barriers. Um, I think they go after golf because it remains to be said what kind of what kind of structure there is there, right? But they certainly know what they're doing. Um, and for all the complaints I have about you know, you know, American sports at times, I appreciate the 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 checks and balances that that are put in place here, without question. I I, I hear you on that, um, guys. Before we get into the mailbag, let's let's check in really quickly on the Spurs Women's Club because they still don't have a manager. Caroline, what the hell is going on? We we swore to, like I think two or three weeks ago. Oh, it's coming this week. It's coming this week. But there's still really no no news to report on that end. Is that correct? There is no news to report, and <laughs> it's it's funny because I guess on one of Alistair Gold's you know weekly mailbags, I guess you would say, somebody asked him about if he had any information about the manager search on the women's side, and he was basically like, "I hear that progress is being made," and that was it. <laughs> So, yeah, literally nobody knows anything. It's funny. We we were having a conversation before we started recording kind of about just the, the, the women's game in general and um, almost the build up to the World Cup, because the World Cup, I don't think a lot of people realize is like less than a month away from starting uh, World Cup this year uh, for the women down in Australia, New Zealand. And, you know, I think a lot of people over here in the States really started learning about it because it, it hasn't really been hyped up. But the U.S. women's national team uh, roster was announced last week, and a lot of national team rosters have been being announced over the last handful of, of days and weeks. And I think the buildup is now starting, but it almost feels like this has been, you know, a long time. I mean, this thing is a couple of weeks away, and we're now just finally starting to get a ramp up. It feels like we're in the doldrums of the summer here. I would like to hear a little bit more about uh, what we expect uh, down under, if you will. And I don't know. It just... Do you feel the same way? Am I am I alone in this? You're not alone. You know, I was having a conversation um, with my friend Abby the other day about this, particularly in the lens of English soccer, because I think last summer when they had the Euros, there really was this very like organic excitement about the tournament, probably because it was, you know, in England. So that helped. Yeah, big but deal. I think it's fair, like Abby said, to ask why is there not the same kind of marketing push behind the world cup, especially since England has such a strong team, even without a few of their, you know, injuries. And she pointed out that at least, you know, as it regards to the WSL, they had kind of really put a lot of marketing effort behind Beth Mead and Leah Williamson, who are now not going to be in the tournament. So it's it's kind of like maybe they just don't know who to shift their attention to. I don't know, but it just goes to show that I think in women's football, you see the top teams and the top players kind of get the attention. And there's there's just so many talented players below that level that are not getting the same recognition. So Chuban, has the hype over in England been any different than we're getting over here in the States for this Women's World Cup coming up? It's been non-existent. I mean, I do, like, at the moment, we've got uh, Wimbledon coming up in about a week's time, I think. We've just had the Ashes start, so that's England. And, look, women, women's sport, I wouldn't say traditionally, but historically, 
hasn't really received the attention it should do. And and that's just I'm not saying that's, I'm just saying that's just how it's been. I'm trying to, aside from the tennis, it's not really. I'm trying to think of, and obviously obviously when obviously England winning the Europeans last year, I might have just mentioned that again. Um, do you know what I mean? We don't really get a lot of attention played to women's sport. It just is so rare that it does happen. I think, I think I think beyond that, I think the year before that it was um, Emma Raducanu winning the U.S. Open. Yeah, but like I said, there wasn't a lot of attention paying women's sports, so I think it's a cultural thing. If that's, I don't want to say cultural, as in like in both my country and in yours, there just isn't enough attention being paid to women's sport. Yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, time. the the NCAA women's basketball tournament got a lot of hype this past spring, um, just because it was a great tournament, and I thought that was, I thought I was hoping that that could be more of a springboard into this summer, um, and hyping, you know, women's soccer and and getting people out and excited for this women's world cup. And again, maybe that will start to happen over the next three to four weeks as we build up, you know, deeper into the summer for it. Um, and hopefully that's going to be the case over in England as well, but it's, I'm, I'm ready for it. Like I'm ready for something. I, I look, I'm, I have golf and baseball and a lot of things to, to keep me occupied, but I do want to see that kind of thing as well. Um, honestly, the, the, <laughs> Speaking of women's sport over here in the states, the the women's golf is is also getting kind of shitty treatment over here. The the women's uh, LP the LPGA tour is playing a a major this weekend, and you can barely watch it on television. Um, you know, it's they're playing the final round as we record, and I've I've got it pulled up and and watching it on a streaming service because it's not you know the most of the coverage is not on television. So it 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 is I, it's not just an England thing. You're right. It's 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 over here as well. There needs to be a little bit more of an effort here um to get some of these things hyped up especially for a world cup like it's a, it's a world fucking cup which by the way england will get to participate in i know they won the euros you're you, I'm, I'm happy for you guys Shivan, but just remember who the defending world cup champions are um and then we'll, we'll we'll leave that conversation there uh because the u.s still do hold that crown um guys let's dive into the mailbag before we get out of here um we kind of addressed a little bit of this question earlier from spiggy uh, Spiggy writes in, the link between the academy and first team appears to be on the agenda finally. With this in mind, um, can we discuss the merits of the under-18s and under-21s that we think should be given an opportunity to kind of make it all the way through to the first team? And look, I I'll be totally honest with you guys. I don't pay enough attention. I know a couple of the names down on this level, um, but Dakota dropped a few names uh, for us. Mikey Moore, who I mentioned earlier, who signed the big deal. Jamie Donnelly, Alfie Dorrington, Alfie Devine, Jude Sunset Bell, who I believe is the player we signed from Chelsea, correct? Uh, I think he's the one that came over from the Chelsea ranks. And then Will Lankshire, who is another name I've heard of. Scott, who else do you have for us in, in, in this mind frame in terms of youth players that you are going to really have an eye on now that it seems like that that valve has perhaps been turned back on? Yeah, I mean, I, I think all those are great shots from Dakota, but but for me – I, I think it's it's important to, to keep pumping the brakes, right? I think, sure, we, we've, we've now started to pay guys more money, but I don't think – and focus more on the academy from what we're hearing, which is just honestly words from the club, right? We have no idea what that means. But, but ultimately, it's very hard to make it through to the first team regardless of money and focus and investment, blah, blah, blah. So for me, Alfie Devine's the only guy who's really in that conversation right now. I think all those other guys are great shouts, but – if 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 somebody said you gotta you gotta put a hundred dollars on 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 somebody from the academy getting through to the first team in the next say two seasons, I think Alfie Devine's bang on for that, and and will end up playing for the first team for sure. Um, but everybody else will see. 
Yeah, it should be fun. Um, I, I'm I'm kind of where you are. Like, I, I'm I'm glad this is happening, but at the same time, I don't want the focus to solely be on bringing youth players through. I would like there to be a steady trickle. But w- like, think about how many players really come through and make it big. I mean, obviously, there's one big glaring example in the first team right now in Harry Kane, but there's a lot of other examples of guys who have not really quite come through and and banged on like we would want them to. You know, Jaffa Tanganga, Harry Winks. Um, there are a few names there where you're like, you know, and Oliver Skip, I think, is, is, is on his way, perhaps, and we hope. But there, there are some names there that, you know, it, it, it's, it's a tough proposition to do. It's why, it's, it's why well, we make such a big deal out of it when it happens. Yeah, and, and it's real quick, Sheeves, I'll pass it to you. But it's a, it's a real thing, too, to consider that, that when, you're, when you're in the academy of a Premier League team, you don't have the opportunity to, to – to put yourself in situations to improve your mentality, right? Like you can maybe improve your tactical ability, your technique, your understanding of the game, but until until you're you're in a situation where you can really feel the pressure and 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 start to group your mentality or and make shape of your mentality as a professional athlete, you're not really going to make it through. And I think that's why guys from the academies of the lower leagues end up shining and then making huge jumps, right? It's it's because they're playing for the first team when they're 18 years old and, and you just don't have the academy. You don't have the opportunity to do that if you're at a Premier League academy. So it's, in a weird way, it's, it's like, I, I think guys that are in the academy of Premier League teams, you're just maybe not as talented of a player when, when it's all said and done and everything shakes out, right? As somebody who's in the academy in the lower leagues, I know it sounds weird, but... I think uh, history history speaks towards that idea. You'll have some players like who will go further further ranks. They'll they'll do they'll they'll join us at the age of six, and they'll get cut, and they'll never have played a first team game. And there are players who I remember I've seen pump players. I mean, there was a player, there's a guy at my gym, and he'd literally just given up on football. I'm just saying that it's so few players make it through um, from from being a youth team player to the Premier League, it's just so difficult. And yeah. I remember I'm, 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 I haven't met some some lads and I just said to them, do you know what, don't, yeah, I mean, the best player, I remember Robbie Keane, I think what, he had the chance, I think, to join Liverpool when he was younger. He decided against it because he felt, do you know what, if I join, I think it was Wolverhampton Wanderers, I think it was, either, either them or Coventry, but Mark McGee was, his, was the guy who gave him a start. And um, he um, basically yeah, chose that because he thought, oh, I've got a better chance of making the first team. So even though he joined Wolves, I think, and I think Wolves were in the championship at the time, he felt I have a better chance of playing first team football. So look, a lot of things can happen. I mean, I remember Terry Dixon was like, he was, he was called the Irish Wayne Rooney. He had some really bad injuries. He never recovered. And, you know, it, it goes that way. I mean, I remember, was it when Rain Rooney, I, mean, he, I think he scored a goal against Arsenal. I can't remember if it was his first goal for Everton, but I remember him scoring a goal for Ars- against Arsenal. He was in Everton. I think he was 16, 17 at the time. I remember the person saying, remember the name, Wayne Rooney. But I've heard so many remember the names. Danny had a martyry. So there are so many of these young... Look, we famously had one, Deli Ali. He, he I was going to say, look, I'm just, that's the name I was just going to bring up. You're spot on. Look And yeah. look at where he is yeah. now. I mean, he's only in his mid-20s yeah. and... Maybe late twenties so, by now, but still, it is one of those. It's it is a tough one, and 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 I, I think I think a lot of Spurs fans, you know, they hear that the academy uh, spigot is being turned back on, if you will, and I think they should expect a, a little bit of, of a drip from that spigot, but not a, a rush of water. Like we're we're, we're going to see 
a little bit more involvement, I think. Um, but I, I don't think it's going to, you know, you're not going to be flooded by what's coming out of the academy because no team is. And I think it's just kind of as simple as that. Um, um, just use, just want to use your example because obviously you've been to a spring training that you've that you've, you you were at that spring training. Mm. How many of these kids that go into have college scholarships for baseball? Sure. Having success, well, but, and, success, and 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 baseball, of, baseball like, is picked a, up by the minors and going to play. You know, yeah, baseball, baseball. There's so many levels too, just like there is in 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 football. There's so many levels of of professionals that are you know minor leaguers, and that's uh, that's a great example of it. And and you know what what a better time for for a Londoner to make it when Major League Baseball is in London this weekend playing a series. It's a, it's a, it's a really good shot by Yushiban. I'm impressed by the the American sports comparison that you've made here. Um, next question is from KTGI. Uh, is Harry Kane going to press and run in behind in the way that Ange wants to play? And if not, can and will Ange adapt his system? And if not that, will he have the willpower to do what – Ten Hag did, but Mourinho and Conte would not, and that is bench his one world class player. Who wants to take this loaded question? Because I think KDGI has a maybe a slight agenda here. It feels like I'm not sure, um, but it feels oh, like there's, there, there's a there's a lot of Harry Kane resentment there. It feels like. Uh, first of all, I think uh, if you look at England, Harry the, te- the England team is built around Harry Kane. You've got some very good emerging talents like Jude Bellingham, who I think he's got 100 million to Real Madrid, and you've got other good players as well. Um, Jack Grealish, obviously, up with 100 mil, but it's all about Harry Kane. It is the Harry sure. Kane team. It should be, and I'm, I'm, and that's what I suppose are. So if I'm and and I think and I said I'm saying this to I think to Beth England. So like, thanks for keeping us up. If Harry Kane had scored all the goals he did, we'd have been relegated, pretty much. So I think and we'll find a way to work with probably our greatest ever player that we've i've been i've ever seen anyway play for spurs i should i should hope but, so right? yeah i mean honestly yeah. like in in sure ten hog bench someone who's okay i guess but like harry harry kane is the most complete footballer in the world in my opinion mbappe might be better but that's because he can just drop his shoulder and beat anybody on the planet right he is he's not the complete footballer that is harry kane so Yes, Harry Kane will play, and yes, Harry Kane will also run and tuck. Harry Kane does everything, so I don't, I don't know why. And I'm not taking a shot at anybody who asks this question, but why are we asking if Harry Kane will be able to run in behind people? Like, yes, Harry Kane will definitely be able to to make runs. Yeah, I don't think the correct question is necessarily how will Ange change his system to suit Harry, but how will Harry adapt because he always does. And I have he, no he really does. Well. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have no doubt that Harry Kane will either. And and even if it's only for one season, like, let's be honest, even if 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 this Harry Kane thing does come to an end because he still doesn't somehow have a contract entering the final year of his current deal, uh, even if it's only for only one season, he, he'll adapt. He'll he'll make plays. He's a playmaker. And that's kind of just I don't know. That's what he does. So I'm, I'm excited about uh, to, to see. I'm excited to see it, honestly, because there's enough good players around him, too, that can you know, that can help in that attack. So, and it should be a kind of an all, all, all gas, no break situation is what we hear. So I'm, I'm excited to watch it all. Uh, let's wrap it up with a question from our good friend, Reed Simpson. If Tottenham Hotspur could sign any American, who would y'all want? I'm going to go to my resident Italian American here, Scott, to answer this one first. Do you, do you have a, an American player in mind? 
Yeah, Eunice Musa. Damn it. Stole mine. That's mine. Yeah. Yep. That's probably going to be a lot of people's answer to that question, though. If Is it? I think so. I, I disagree. I think a lot of people will say either McKenney or Pulisic. Sure. I thought I was going off the beaten path with Eunice Musa there. <laughs> well, my immediate thought went to the midfield, and I wish there was a perfect universe in which Gio Reyna was not so injury-prone because – He's my favorite player to watch when he's like in form and healthy. Yeah. But the other player I really love on the U.S. team is Timothy Weah, but he unfortunately sure. is going to Juventus. So. Do you know? Do you know what the real? Do you know what the real honest answer to this question is? It's Rose Lavelle. That's the that's the best answer, because honestly, <laughs> someone to run the midfield is what you need, in either the men's yeah. or the women's team. I'm sorry, but like both both <laughs> You're both so instances. Loyal. Oh, damn it. Sorry, Shubai. Women, by all means. Well, I was going to say, I forgot the name of the, the. She's got like blue and red hair or something. And uh, I forgot her Megan name. Megan Yeah. But I would have said, I would have said, like, I'm not, you, we'll, we talk about not uh, like ignoring women's sports. How on earth have we not ignored? There are so many great American women footballers. And like, why are we not thinking about high signing them? I, I mean, like, I, I'll tell you I'm why. So, I, I, I am so upset, Andrew. <laughs> it's because we already used our one. one. You steal my answer. Sorry, Scott stole mine. I had to steal yours. Chance to sign a U.S. player with Alex Morgan. I feel like it's never going to happen again. <laughs> oh, don't say that. Don't say that. It would be really good to have some. You know, someone like you know, Rapino would be great. I say, but Rapino is also you know on the other side of thirty at this point in her career. I want Rose Lavelle because she's young. You know, she's obviously a superstar um, and still has even more room, I think, to grow. But, yeah, there are plenty of options on the U.S. women's national team that could that could become uh, probably one of the best players at, at, at Spurs women if, if they were to sign tomorrow. I mean, definitely. I mean, I, I actually would have said, like, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, apart from Rapino and um, I don't know many of the you know, U.S. women's national team, but... I, I, honestly, I'll take him when I get sent in the back or something because I'll set the heart up really, really bad. Honestly, it's just not just, that's it's where not, I was. It's not, go. It's, it's not yep. just, oh my, I'm sorry, I'm now stealing your answer. What is oh, it? Are we really stealing each other's answer. answers? That's fine. It's a Are really good answer. answers? Is that what we're doing maybe now? Some, maybe some Julie Ertz or uh, Becky Sauerbrunn, although Sauerbrunn's hurt, so that, that doesn't help. Yeah, Alana Cook would work. Yeah, no, spot on. Spot on. These are all, they're all really good answers. I, honestly, Shubhan, I think the, the 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 best answer here is just that you know American football is on the rise, and y'all should watch out both on the women's and men's side. There's plenty of answers we can give for for both of these questions, and that would not have been the case 10, 15 years ago. I will tell you, maybe on the women's side it would have, but certainly not on the definitely, men's side. Definitely, definitely, definitely on the U.S. on the U.S. women's side. I think just I'm mean, just the sheer level of obviously I you know sheer level of investment from like university, so obviously. Yeah. To, you know, to I think the was I don't know what you call it not WSL but whatever you call yeah the NWSL the, the, the NWSL. Yeah. but um, I I definitely do think that and I'm not said I I think the last World Cup I saw was in was it, was it 2019 I think that was the last one I saw and I had the last I mean, one any of obviously us saw. Uh, but as in I, I can remember saying as in like, I don't and I don't know if there's a World Cup before that but I'm just saying um, I that's about the only one I've seen so far. And I just remember the pubs, and it was obviously it was July, so there was no football going on, like men's football going on at the time. But everyone was like into it; they were watching it. And and I'm like I said, I'm hoping 
I am hoping that we are going to see, because like I said, the BBC do show like the U21s. I think there was, I don't know if, and Caroline, Kaz, you can help us out with this, but I know there was some argument about them not even broadcasting it or something. They were, Infantino was getting his knickers in a twist about it, or there's something going on. I don't, cause Kaz, cause you, I, I don't know about it, so please help, help me out here. So basically what happened was that FIFA said that the, I think it was England, Germany, Italy, and France, perhaps, um, they were all kind of lowballing their offers for the broadcasting rights, which they undoubtedly were, but it, it really took way too long to come to an agreement. And the fact that there was nearly a blackout situation for the World Cup is like unacceptable. <laughs> um, I think the the issue here, part of it is that because the tournament is happening in Australia and New Zealand, there's a very difficult time zone difference situation. Yeah, it is really difficult. Like even here in the States, it's tough. Right. I, I think the problem though is that if it was the men's world cup, there would not have been any question about making it happen. No, so, of course not. Yeah, <laughs> of course not. No, it's and again, this, this speaks to the larger conversation that we've been having kind of throughout this podcast, but uh, you know, it's, it is, that's, that's where we are and we're, we're, we're all trying to change it. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, that's going to do it for another edition of the Tottenham Depot. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, be sure to leave us a rating and review on your podcast app of choice and subscribe to the show. So you can get every episode right in your feed. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Tottenham Depot if you want to reach out to us. Uh, Shuban can be found at The Real Shuban. Caroline is at CG Stefko. Scott is at DSM Spurs. And I am at A Stedka. Uh, until next week, this has been a fun one. We will continue the summer doldrums uh, of here at the Tottenham Depot. As always, come on, you Spurs. Thank you so much for stopping by the Tottenham Depot. Thanks to Scott Bird for our intro music, as well as the tunes you are hearing right now. Thanks to Dakota Booth for our artwork. Thank you as well to our spouses who put up with our obsession with this football club and for all that they do. And thanks to you, the listener, who really makes this happen. Supporters make this club, and you, the listener, are what make this podcast possible. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Tottenham Depot, and as always, come on, you Spurs. <laughs>